this country is capable of doing amazing things. We put a man on the moon. We won World War II. We came together after 9-11. And we need to remind ourselves that we are capable of doing big things again. Welcome to the Emergency Mind Podcast. I'm Dan Dworkis, and this is a space where we train ourselves to think and perform better during times of crisis. ER doctors or not, we all face emergencies in our lives, and this podcast is all about getting better at acting during times of uncertainty and stress and learning how to apply knowledge under pressure. To learn more about building your emergency mind and to dig deeper into many of the concepts we get into in this podcast series, head over to our website at emergencymind.com. All right, folks, it is March 20th, and we are in some challenging times right now. It is some point in the wave of the coronavirus epidemic. We're not exactly sure where. Many of us are quarantined or ordered to shelter in place, and we are watching our neighbors and our friends and our colleagues struggle with what to do, struggle with isolation, and, and sometimes get very sick right in front of us. I wanted to do a podcast episode that talked about strategies about how to handle what's happening, but really I wanted to just start the conversation. And my hope is that this episode will spark some thought in you and give you a space from which to talk to your neighbors, talk to your colleagues about what's happening, about how you're dealing with it, about how they're dealing with it, and most importantly about how together all of us can learn to handle this very unique and very challenging time together. We are very lucky to be joined once again for this episode by Dr. Andrea Austin, whose voice you heard at the beginning of the intro. Andrea is a lieutenant commander in the United States Navy and a professor at both the Keck School of Medicine as well as the Uniformed Services University and a leader at the Naval Trauma Training Center at LA County Hospital. I'll warn you right off the bat, there are some challenging parts of this episode. We talk about death, we talk about suffering, and we talk about how to handle it. But if you stick with it, this episode really is all about hope. It's about the hope about how to handle the situation, about how to come together and move through it, and about coming back to our common purpose of building better versions of ourselves and better versions of our communities. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope it helps. I hope you and yours stay safe. And I hope this episode brings you a little encouragement, even on the dark days, to get out there and get after it. That said, let's get to it. Andrea, thank you for coming back and talking again. I'm really excited to sit down and, and talk with you about this, although obviously I wish it were under much better circumstances. Agreed. Good to be back, but yes, it's a heavy time. I was hoping we could sit down today and talk through sort of um, mental preparation and uh, building resilience and thinking about how both to be a better ER doctor during a very serious crisis like this, uh, and also for folks that aren't ER doctors, how anybody can sort of adopt some of these strategies in their own lives uh, as they're going through what is for a lot of us, you know, one of the most serious and really complicated times we've we've ever been a part of. So maybe let's start with this. So you had a shift uh, yesterday, was it? Is that right? Um, mm -hmm. Where a couple of really complicated scenarios happened and you were, as we were setting up for this, you were telling me beforehand sort of what it was like as you were walking into the shift. Um, talk us through that. What did that feel like as you're going in to run um, the resuscitation unit of one of the largest uh, emergency departments on the West Coast? Well, actually yesterday I was at our sister site, um, which is has its own challenges, right? Because it's a community hospital. I know you've worked there as well. And that place can get really, really busy. 
And so to be quite honest with you, I was more nervous about going to work there than I've been going to work at a larger academic center where I have a lot more people to call on and and help me. So yesterday was um, more nerve wracking knowing that um, like all community hospitals across the country, uh, you have less staff, uh, less consultants, and in my opinion, you're on the front lines even more. Um, so that's what I was going into. And what were you feeling as you were walking in there? Since, uh, you know, I've I've known you for a while now and saying that you feel nervous is a pretty atypical thing to, to hear you say. Yeah, I noticed that I felt a little bit more anxious on my drive into work where usually, honestly, I like my job and I like going to work and I'm usually pretty upbeat uh, getting into my car, putting on my my playlist. Um, but I've noticed that I've been a little bit more anxious and just feeling a little bit more of a weight or a seriousness going into my shifts. And and that's how I felt yesterday. And also anxious as we're all trying to figure out what's the best way to handle this crisis on a lot of different levels. What's the best way to keep ourselves safe, to keep our staff safe? What's the best way to manage these patients? That's still a moving target as we're collecting more information. So all of that, I guess the anxiety was really coming from the unknown that we're walking into. And unlike some jobs where you're like, oh, I can't really, I don't really want to go in today. Maybe I'm going to call in sick. Um, I think all of us are feeling there is no option for that right now. We have to go in and we have to push through this anxiety. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's useful to hear ER doctors and everybody that we work with that we're, we're lucky enough to work with, we are trained for and used to uncertainty. And despite that, this is an incredibly uncertain time, even more so than we're used to. The ground, it feels like it's shifting underneath us on a pretty consistent basis, sometimes in the middle of a shift, sometimes day to day. And, and that does, you know, often provoke quite a bit of anxiety. And so I, I guess the first thing I'd love to get out there into the universe for anybody that's listening, which is that, you know, if you are feeling anxious at this moment, that is okay and a fairly reasonable initial response, right? It's There's a lot going on here that makes it hard to deploy your normal sort of systems of work. Uh, and there's a lot going on that, that makes you wonder how to best take care of yourselves and your patients and your family. And I think the challenge that all of us face and that I'm hoping we can dig into some today is, is what do you do with that? What do you do with those feelings of of anxiety and sometimes bordering on fear, sometimes bordering on anger, whatever direction that goes. How do you take that feeling, understand that it's there, address it, and then push forward anyway and get done what needs to be done? So last night when you started feeling this as you were going into your shift, what did you do? Well, I think some of it is, you know, as we go through an emotion multiple times, particularly with the strain, same stressor, I think it's still there, but it's attenuated. So backing up a little bit, and we'll, I'm sure, get into this more later. My anxiety about this really started probably about two months ago. I can't remember exactly when I was on shift, and I was looking at an article coming out of China with a picture of physicians in papper suits in this ICU that looked like it was endless. And I looked at it and I actually showed another ER attending that was walking by and I said, 
this looks really bad. And I'm really worried that this is what's coming down the pike um, for us here in the U.S. So even um, a couple months ago, I started reading a lot about COVID and finding out as much as I could and trying to think through um, what my own personal plan was going to be and also starting to ask some questions um, the places where I work. So to get back to the point that you were asking about anxiety, I think anxiety is not necessarily a bad thing. It's a natural response. I mean, if you're not anxious about this, you're not using your brain, you're not thinking. So for me, and uh, you know, part of the reason I became a doctor is I've always been really interested and curious about the, the body and to some point a little anxious, right, about our own health. And through becoming a physician, I've got the privilege of learning so much information that I'm able to mitigate a lot of that anxiety. So for me, part of it, which has been going on for weeks, is um, information acquisition. The more I know about this, I hope the smarter I can be to protect myself and to take good care of patients. So knowledge is one part of it. And then there's, there's a lot of other things too. There's a difference between what we could have done three months ago and what we could have done six months or a year ago and what we have the ability and the, the option and the control to do now. And I think that a lot of us are responding to a lot of frustration and anger. Why aren't the supply chains better? Why aren't the resources there? Why didn't we see this coming? And those are those are important, good questions that need to be asked. And, and we do need to gather information and to try to prepare as an antidote to anxiety. But at some point, we also have to shift gears because we cannot fix what happened uh, behind us. And there's this great Seneca quote that we were talking about earlier, right? Do not trip over something that is behind you. Because the idea is that, that that's past us, that we can't go backward in time and figure that out. What we can do, though, is respond to what we have to deal with today. And I think it's one thing to say that, and it's another thing to really feel that and be able to transition in your own mind, especially as you're stepping into a shift where you're starting to see this stuff happen. Or, or maybe you're not even you're not an ER physician. You're not stepping into a shift. You're just looking out at, you know, a main street uh, that looks totally different than what you're used to seeing, and and you realize, okay, this is where we are. This is what we have to deal with. So what comes after that? If, if preparation as an initial response is wonderful when you can do it, but we find ourselves here and now, what do we do after that? So one of the things I think we talked about last time is something I call rapid resiliency. And even on the shifts that I've had so far, when we're not seeing a huge wave of these patients, uh, but we are seeing some. Uh, there has been minor, in my opinion, things that we could do better about making sure we have enough PPE that everyone can access, that everybody knows how to put it on and um, remove it correctly. Um, so little mistakes are being made, um, some larger mistakes mm -hmm. as well. Um, but we're doing the best that we can in this dynamic environment and I think it's very important that while we try to learn as much as we can, and I do think we need to debrief and train and ask some very important questions to a lot of different entities that, um, like you mentioned, the supply chain and other, other um, administrative issues. But for now, we're in battle, we're in battle against 
an invisible enemy. And in the heat of the moment, uh, we don't have time for that. And part of that strategy is rapid resiliency. The other thing is of compartmentalization. I mean, we have to be careful with that as um, healthcare professionals. If you over compartmentalize, it can contribute to issues with burnout and affect your mental health. But in the moment, I find compartmentalization extremely helpful. And and what do you mean by that? Do you mean that you separate sort of your larger sense of what's happening from what's going on in the person in front of you? Exactly. So, you know, we had somebody that was very sick last night and required intubation. And fortunately, we had enough PPE. Everything um, was uh, very good on that end. But thinking about some of the larger issues surrounding this pandemic, I had to let all that go. I, I mean, I love to think about that. I'm a very liberal person. But in that minute, all of that just needs to go away. And we just need to focus on keeping ourselves safe, protecting the patient, the other patients in the emergency department, give the very best care to a very um, ill individual. And you know, later, we can go through about how we can improve things, what processes need to be in place. And it was very tempting. You know, our, One of my colleagues came through and we started talking about some of the uh, policies and procedures, what we needed to change. But I only wanted to have that conversation for about three minutes on my shift last night because I was there to work and see patients. And that's really what my focus needed to be. In some sense, we are very lucky to have that type of a thing to refocus us, right? The ability to say, okay, there's all these massive things going on in the world. But right now, the thing that needs my attention is this right here in front of me. And where we can successfully let go of these other themes and, and really devote all of ourselves to that one patient in that one moment, like that's what it takes for that patient to be okay. That's what it takes for us to be the best that we can be in that moment. And, and in some sort of a strange way, that actually makes us lucky that we have that ability. Because I, you know, I think about my friends or my family that I talk to this about, and and often one of the biggest questions that I get is, you know, what can I be doing? What can I be doing that makes anything that even resembles a difference? And it, it's hard to understand how to have that balance of let go of the broader piece and focus on this thing when there's not something so visceral like an intubation that demands your entire attention. Um, and I think that that doesn't mean it's not the right idea. In fact, I think it is still the right idea, understanding the balance between trying to grapple with you know, getting your hands around the scope of the problem and at the same time letting go of that demand and just focusing inward where you can do two or three things that make a huge difference, you know, and if that's wake up and and go on a run or, you know, call your family or whatever it is, the small little things that you can do that you can really pour yourself into. Um, what else have you been doing personally, when you're not intubating somebody, right? When there's not that exact sort of like thing, because thankfully that's, that's a pretty rare event still. And I, you know, knock on wood, I hope it stays that way. But what else are you doing to sort of find that, that better balance in there? So I think to be quite honest with you, I really needed to watch every minute of news coverage that I could last week and read everything that I could, listen to podcasts, and really have an intense information gathering period. Now I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of the available science 
out there. And I think I have as much information as I can to be a good physician. So now I've really adapted more into what can I do to preserve my wellness, both physically and mentally, spiritually through this crisis. So I've decreased my news intake and I'm really um, modulating that down to watching it for no more than uh, 30 to 40 minutes a day and maybe checking um, the news once a day. Um, And that's helped my anxiety a lot. Um, I think the minute to minute things are going to be less important um, for me to follow. It's more about the overall trends. And certainly if there's a, a breakthrough in this, I know one of my colleagues is going to text me immediately. So I don't need to watch the news constantly. Um, and I need to use that time to do other things. Um, sleep. I am really prioritizing my sleep. I, there's abundant research out there. Sleep is absolutely critical to immune system functioning. Again, anxiety is not really the best thing for sleep. Uh, I've experienced um, insomnia uh, related to anxiety before I deployed, um, sometimes while I was deployed. Overall, I'm a good sleeper, um, but I can understand how that may be a challenge for some people right now. But sleep is my big thing right now. Nutrition, trying to eat healthy food, things that should support your immune system, and spending time with my family. Um, you know, I can't really see anybody besides my husband now. Um, my, my dad is quite a bit old and um, lives um, out of state, but we're talking a lot more frequently. Yeah, definitely. Whatever that is that that helps you find your own balance and for me, it's been going back to a more consistent meditation practice and doing yoga. Um, you know, my normal sort of rebalancing routine of Brazilian jiu-jitsu clearly is off the table. Um, that's w- way too much physical contact, and, and it's hard to do jiu-jitsu from six feet away from each other, although there's some great videos on the internet about people attempting to do six-foot-away jiu-jitsu, if you're, if you're ever curious. Um, and, you know, and I think that that recognizing that whatever those things are for you, that you need to start doing them, you need to prioritize them, and also recognizing that it's not going to work immediately and perfectly at every second that you do it, that you're going to have to experiment and iterate and talk to your friends and family about what you're doing and to be honest about the fact that, hey, this is hard. This is hard to do this. I'm going to need to try these things. Here's what I'm trying right now. Um, I know that for me, all of our all of the people I went to residency with, and we've been out for three years now, all jumped back on a group text chain immediately to talk to each other again. Finding that community is a really, a really big piece of it. Um, and, you know, if we can, I'd like to, I'd like to switch for a second and talk about what you were describing as your, your deployment and your pre-deployment mindset and, and what you learned from that about tackling some of this. And, uh, I don't know, maybe community is as good a place to start with anything like that. Like, what is it like going through something like this now in a very different set of community than than when you were deployed? So I actually see a, a ton of correlates right now between my experience in the military and deploying to what we're going through right now. 
I mean, to use a lot of uh, metaphors here, I mean, the medical professionals right now are essentially like a army responding to an enemy, this virus. And there's a ton of camaraderie uh, that comes with that when I was deployed and right now. I mean, last night on my clinical shift was the best camaraderie I've ever seen at that hospital. And that hospital is high camaraderie at baseline. It's a wonderful staff. But last night I could see people looking each other in the eye more, smiling more, being more gracious, and just pulling together a little tighter. And that's also what happens when you're deploying. Um, for the most part, you deploy as a group and you worked with the people uh, for a period of time as you were gearing up to go. I mean, that's kind of the difference in, in this phase. We, I guess we're kind of in the gear up phase, um, but we're also we kind of just got this dropped in our lap, which again, that can happen with deployments too. I, I knew I had a lot of warning, um, a lot more warning than I had for this current situation. Um, so the camaraderie is a key thing. Um, I think the lack of control, um, when we talk about deploying in the military, um, that's a key concept that we talk about, especially to medical professionals, because most medical professionals, are type A. We love being in control. We love having information. And when you're deploying, all of your control is taken from you. You're told this is what you're going to wear. This is where you have to be. This is where you're going. And you really have no control over that. Um, they tell you, you know, what your mission is probably going to be, the general area you might be going to. But almost everybody you talk to that changed, uh, mine changed significantly. And they feel like we're in a very similar situation where we're starting to get like some information about how significant this might be, but the information's changing all the time. And I'm seeing a lot of my colleagues around me have, they get so stuck on a piece of information or something that was told to them and then it's changing and they get frustrated with administrators. And I'm not trying to let all administrators off the hook here, but I am saying this is a dynamic environment, just like being at war. And we have to be more flexible. The thing that you thought was the way it was going to be, you thought you were going on vacation to wherever next month going. I mean, this is essentially like the countries at war. And guess what? When people went to World War II, um, all their plans changed too. And I think we have to adapt that, that wartime mindset, which sounds very draconian. And for most people that know me, that is not me. Um, but I think that's what we've got to do. Yeah, and, and it offers this really interesting ability to reframe what we're going through from something that, and I guess I'd say that a, a lot of us probably feel pretty uh, isolated and somewhat even maybe powerless right now as we're going through this, right? We're stuck at home or we're just trying to figure out how to handle the, the details of day-to-day -day life. Um, you know, in a, in a, again, in a sense, we're lucky because we at least go out and see other human beings, even if we're wearing a lot of gear in between us and that human beings and we're, you know, elbow bumping instead of doing anything else. But but it's easy to feel sort of 
sort of the suffering aspect of that. But implicit in what you just said is a very different and I think a much more powerful idea, which is that if we really treat this as a true national emergency, as a war, as something where we're able to step up and to choose, hey, we're going to serve this broader cause. We're going to step up and serve and we're going to do what we can for our, our family and our country and our team to get through this and to not just survive this, but to 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 make it through to the other side well. I think that offers a much more powerful mindset to approach this kind of stuff from. Because you're right, nobody's going on vacation right now. It's just, it's off the table. All these things that we thought were gonna happen, they're just not there. And fundamentally, we can either crumble underneath the weight of that or we can step forward and say, okay, what are we gonna do different now? How are we gonna step forward and help people? How do we translate that into our day-to-day lives? I think it's a great opportunity for us to pull together as a country. I mean, this country has been extremely divided, and we've got a lot of problems. And this is a reminder that despite all differences, we have so many things that make us the same. This is a reminder that we are all vulnerable to disease and to death. And let's be a little kinder. Be a little kinder when you're driving down the road. That elderly neighbor next door, see if they need some groceries brought to them. Be a little bit more gracious because none of us really know how much time we have on this earth. And this was a a great reminder for us to really think about how we're spending that time. Um, so that's the, the thing I would really ask people to do, um, everyone beyond health professionals, is how can you make this challenging time a little bit better for those around you? And that's really um, the best medicine. So let's, uh, let's change gears again slightly to something that is a really important um, but sometimes difficult topic to get into. Uh, which, which is death, and which is the death not only of sort of people in the abstract, um, which is also an important concept, but death of our potentially ourselves or our family members, our teammates, people that we know. Um, you know, I think while all of us hope that this is going to be skimming the surface and contained, um, what we're seeing from our colleagues in China and Italy, among other places, is that we should think about and prepare ourselves for um, potentially quite a bit of of death from this. How do we do that? How do we handle that? How do we go about our day and not lose sight of the things that matter to us? Um, How do we understand that death is there and might be coming for us in this wave? Um, How do we understand that and and still wake up in the morning and go out and do good work. Yeah, I think this crisis has forced a lot of us to consider our own mortality a lot more. And I've been blessed with being extremely healthy my entire life and also my family being very healthy. So really the first time I considered my own mortality was in the back of the C-130 landing in Iraq, and it was literally not until the plane was landing that 
it became very real to me that I was in a combat zone with all the risks that came with that. And part of it is, you know, the of being a young younger person, I really had forced myself to not think about dying. Um, you know, they have you take make a living will and some other documents before you deploy, but I didn't take it very seriously because I had known so many emergency physicians that had deployed and come home fine. Um, so I just pretty much refused to address my own mortality until I was there, which I will tell you is not a, a great time to start thinking about that. So when this happened, I actually started thinking about my own mortality a lot sooner. And there, I have kind of the, the double-edged sword of um, spending a lot of time by myself um, working part-time up in Los Angeles. So I took a night that I was by myself um, away from my husband, and I really thought about what it meant um, I got sick and to die. And like most people that know me, um, what I did right away was uh, start writing. So I wrote out um, who I'd, I would want to make my decisions. And while my husband, of course, would be the primary one, um, he's not a physician. So I picked a couple of my physician friends that I know have incredible um, critical care knowledge and know me very well. And I, it probably sounds vain, but I wanted to make sure that there's good music and good times at my funeral. And <laughs> I, <Excellent. laughs> I put together that playlist and uh, I pulled a couple of uh, poems that I like and uh, made sure I, I come from a Catholic family and uh, we really enjoy having wakes and funerals and cremation is not a big thing among Catholics. But um, I made it abundantly clear um, that I do not um, want to be embalmed and that I want to be cremated. Um, and strangely enough, even as I'm talking about this, I mean, I am a little saddened by talking about it. But for me personally, that helped that mm. I acknowledged that we are all mortal. And there's a great book called When Breath Becomes Air. And I very much subscribe to what he was also a physician said that he always thought instead of why me, why not me? And I feel the same way. Like I want to live a long, healthy life. And I feel like I have a lot of things to contribute, but I am no better than anyone else. And this virus is taking down people in their 20s and their 30s. So that is the reality. And for me, the ostrich thing, it didn't really serve me years ago um, before deployment. So when this happened, I was much quicker to be like, okay, you just need to sit down, acknowledge that. What are the things that are making you anxious about it? Put those pieces of information in place. And then, you know what? That's it. It's done. There's nothing more I can do about it. That is awesome. It is awesome to dive into that and to to talk about it. And it's interesting how 
almost taboo it is even to talk about that among even even close friends to talk about what it is like to think about your death and and I hope that maybe this changes that a little bit as we're as we're thinking deeply about some of these thoughts we're not used to digging into um, because I think you do have to think about it and it is going to come for all of us at at some point or another there's that other um, Stoke philosophy quote Marcus Aurelius that says death smiles at every person and all we can do is decide to smile back um, which I really I really like and I think that's a great way to do it to sit down and just start thinking about about what you'd want um, I've also had uh, people suggest that you do it as writing an obituary so Dan Dworkis 37 died today from whatever it is, usually I try to put in some super heroic way to die, but you know, sort of whatever. Uh, and he's survived by these people that he cares about. And he spent his life doing this thing that he cared about. And to just sort of structure it that way gives you the space to really dig into some of these ideas about, well, who is important? Who would I want to write down that I'm survived by? And what is important? What would I want to write down that I believed in and that I spent my time doing? Um, and you know, that's a thing that we can keep doing for as long as we live and that we should. Um, and I agree with you that it, at first glance, it sometimes sounds, if you're not used to doing this, uh, like it's morbid and terrible. And, you know, I can imagine some friends of mine listening to this being like, that is the last thing in the universe that I ever want to do in this situation where I'm already feeling anxious and afraid and panicked. But I think what you're saying and what I really agree with is that it actually tends to have really the opposite effect of that, which is that once you get going, once you start really digging into it, not only is it not morbid, it's actually very, very life affirming. And you realize that, you know, you're here and you're doing what you're doing and hopefully you're doing it on purpose and that you don't know how long you're going to live, but you do have a choice about how you live that life. And rather than making you more afraid. I suspect if you sit down and try this, it will actually really mitigate a lot of that fear and get you more focused on what the most deeply important things are in your life. Um, and so maybe that's a silver lining of this whole coronavirus is that, is that it gets us to think more deeply about, about the really challenging um, parts of our existence and the, the rough edges that, that maybe we're not used to feeling. Right. Yeah, I highly recommend the book When Breath Becomes Air. And on first glance, it's, it is very sad. But I always tell people that book's a lot more about living than about dying. And I think that's what this horrible thing that's happening around us on first glance is all about death. But there is a chance for us to look at the humanity and the chance for us to slow down a little bit spend more time at home with our families, refocus. I'm refocusing mm. right now. I am the type of person, and many of you that listen know me, I'm, I have my fingers in a hundred different pots and I've got a hundred different projects and I'm always you know, working on different things. And this has forced me to take a step back and go, what is really important on, on this list of a hundred things? What, what do I want to spend my time on? And I think that's 
something positive that we can take from this. Andrea, I want to shift gears again briefly. I I have uh, a pile of questions here from folks um, who wanted to ask you and I collectively about some advice. And these questions are all from non-medical people. Um, and they have questions. We're not going to talk about like the science of the coronavirus, so don't worry. That's <laughs> equally unknown to all of us at the moment. But um, but these are sort of more of like, how do you function in these types of environments? Um, so So let's dig into a couple of them. The first one is from both your time in deployment and then sort of your time more generally in the military, um, what lessons about personal and community focus do you think that people can adopt in their day-to-day -day lives? And I think that question's really about how do you um, form and function in communities, maybe when you're far away from some of those people physically? So I think among the people that you are able to stay in contact um, for us we're still going to work so we're seeing our colleagues i am being even more collegial and for all of us that have deployed um you need to be authentic and you have bad days you need events but you also need to be positive because everybody we have a saying like everybody's in the suck we all know it sucks so you need to bring some positivity to the situation. And then you and I are still going to work, and that's both a blessing and a curse. Um, but for the people that are staying home, um, and I also felt very isolated at times on deployment, uh, FaceTime and all the video chats that we have is a blessing. Um, and I will tell you, I had the, some of the best conversations of my life on FaceTime um, while I was deployed and tearing up thinking about them. So <laughs> reach out to those. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, how do, uh, how do you motivate? So this question is about sort of leading a team. How do you adopt, um, an attitude and a way of leading that uh, helps a team stay both motivated and and calm while also generating the actual needed urgency and forward action that it takes in these really challenging situations. So I think truthfulness is very important. So if we run out of PPE, which I really hope we don't, but if we do, we have to be honest with people. Um, in the military, you know, you can give people orders. Um, in my civilian environments, um, that's not going to work. But we're going to have to make some tough decisions if we're out of PPE. Um, you know, I'm not going to allow someone um, to be in my emergency department without care. Um, so I will make my own personal decisions. Uh, but I will be truthful with my team. Um, if we're facing a challenge like that. So I think truthfulness is very important. Acknowledging the reality, acknowledging and validating their frustrations and feelings, but then also coming back to purpose. And I think that's something that the military relies on a lot, that it's you're in part of this organization, part of this culture, that's part of something bigger than you. And I think that's the advantage that we have right now of saying this is a national emergency 
acknowledging the challenge, but then guiding everyone towards we're part of this bigger team. And despite all the dysfunctions in our healthcare system in our country, where people coming together at this moment. So I would really, you know, this isn't so much a leadership podcast, but really adopt that transformative style of leadership. Yeah, that is that is awesome. And I want to push on that, right? Because I think that that is truly the hopeful note and the hopeful way forward that I'm seeing in all of this, which is that idea that you said of coming back to purpose, the idea that we are all in this together. We're going to do everything we can to get through this. And it's going to take each of us building and contributing and being part of this team. Um, and recognizing the gravity of the situation, not shying away from talking about the fact that there is death and there is destruction out there right now, but also being honest that we can move forward and we can make progress in this. Yeah, I want to just say something really quickly about that is for a long time, I have felt that this country has needed a call to service, a um, national service requirement. And I just want to remind people out there that this country is capable of doing amazing things. We put a man on the moon. We won World War II. We came together after 9-11. And we need to remind ourselves that we are capable of doing big things again. I think we've become very afraid of doing anything big. So I'm hoping that people remind themselves that they are bigger than being on their phones all the time. They are bigger than your Insta posts. Come together and contribute to this country and this world being better. And that's going to look like different things for different people because we're a diverse country and everybody has diverse skills. But I would say look out more versus looking in. Let's let's press on that. So what does that mean? How can people how can people come back to purpose? Um, you know, off the top of my head as I'm thinking about this and 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 this is like, thank you for saying that. I think that's an awesome and true thing to say that that we all need to keep hearing, which is that we can do this. We can build good things and it's going to take each of us finding our own path to move forward in it. But what do those paths look like? Right. So off the top of my head, I'm thinking about first off the importance of actually understanding how social distancing works and not spreading this virus, of not hoarding, of being sure that your neighbors and your community members are being taken care of, of donating to places like Meals on Wheels, of not shying away from giving blood, which is unfortunately probably going to be a shortage in the near future as well. Um, what else? What else can people be doing when they're not in the emergency world already? So, I mean, something really simple, and I suggested to the gym that I belong to in Los Angeles is you guys send out a message and ask people to keep their membership turned on right now. And I kept my membership on. Now, I don't know if I can do that for 18 months, um, but I can do it for right now. And I know, I know the people that um, own and operate that gym. They're wonderful people, and they're, you know, it, um, severe risk of losing their business. So keep your membership going. Um, that's a shout out to all the sanctuary fitness people in Los Angeles. Right on. Um, you know, I, I got a message today from one of the apps that uh, deal with like salons and they suggested, you know, when businesses open again, be really generous with your tips. 
Um, I think for the, uh, those of us that are fortunate to have more financial resources, this is a great way to spend money. <laughs> Honestly, where my husband uh, said today, you know, we don't have very much gym equipment right now. And I said, well, order a bunch, go buy some. Um, that's something we can do. We're not to restaurants. We're not on any trips. So let's take the money that we were going to use for that and go do what Americans have often done best, be a consumer culture and buy some things mm -hmm. that are supporting um, the people that are hurting right now. So if nothing else, please social distance. That is the most important thing. Um, and then if you have more financial resources, you know, look into your community, who is hurting, what businesses need your support, what charities, how can you if you have those financial resources, make the most impact in your community. And then, you know, you can look into what your professional and personal strengths are and really think about how you can apply those. Absolutely. I, I, I want to add two things onto that. One is to talk to each other about this, right? To talk to your family and your friends and your communities about this and to, to spread that idea through these communities that we are trying to see this as a time of coming back to purpose, a time where we are able to, to really serve our, our communities and our country um, in this time of crisis. Uh, and the other thing is to recognize that we're all students as we do this. And that these are, as some as hard as some of these days are, these are times for us to iterate and experiment. And part of what we need to do from this is to make sure at the end of every day, at the end of every shift, that we're getting better than when we started that. And we need to we need to explore these things, to be honest about our experimentation, to talk with each other about what we're trying, to practice and to get better. Because whatever we have now, when we're through this, we're gonna to need to be better than when we started. And the only way to get there is to consistently build and experiment on top of what we're doing. I love that. And there's a quote from one of my old bosses about assume the best out of people. Assume that everyone's trying their best right now. You see that person at the grocery store that's hoarding and you wanna go over and scream at them. Um, meet them with compassion. Now, I'm not saying that maybe you go up to them very compassionately and remind them that, you know, some other people in the community um, could use some of those items. Um, but I think let's give each other as much grace as possible. Andrea, um, do you have any specific challenges that you want to issue to people? So number one, social distance. I, I mean, I think I'm just going to echo that. As tough, it is, tough as it is, please do it and spend some time calling and FaceTiming or whatever modality you use with uh, family and friends. I mean, I'm not that old, but I feel like 15 years ago, people <laughs> used to talk on the phone a lot more. And I loved having an hour long you know, conversation with my girlfriend from college. And I feel like now we do a lot more texting and a lot less talking. And now with our commutes essentially gone and maybe having some more time on our hands, I have had 45 minute conversations with, you know, my best friend from medical school. And I've talked with my mom more than I've um, talked to her in years um, in the last 
few months. So I would ask people to social distance, but realize that that doesn't mean you can't lean in and deepen some of the relationships that maybe you've been neglecting a little bit in your life. I love that. And I have to specify, I laughed when you said you're not that old, but it's not because I think you're old. It's because of the facial expression you made when you said that, but nobody listening to this can be able to see that. <laughs> so it's going to come off like I'm being a jerk and I'm not. But I love that idea of social distance and at the same time, get closer to each other. Like that's a great challenge. Absolutely. Yeah. I just want to thank you, Dan, for putting this together because as you alluded to, this is a really challenging time. And I think the more we can have honest conversations, like let's let's just acknowledge the the suck that we're in and let's have real moments where we connect. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for coming on and talking about it. I love the fact that in the middle of this conversation, I kind of thought the title of this episode was going to be Everybody is in the Suck. And by the time we're finishing this episode, it's not. The title is going to be Coming Back to Purpose. Because the idea is that, yeah, we're all in this and it's hard, but we're going to get through it. We're going to step forward and it's up to us to find the ways to do that and, and we're going to do it. So thank you, Andrea. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emergency Mind podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, but more importantly, I hope you found something in there that you can use next time you find yourself in the middle of an emergency. As always on this podcast, our mission is to dive into applying knowledge under pressure, not to provide specific medical advice. Additionally, our opinions are our own and not those of our respective employers. To learn more about what we talked about in this episode and about building your emergency mind in general, head over to our website at emergencymind.com.